Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1041. This is my interview with Dane Dunstan discussing his new book, Being Essential. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Dane. Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here with us today. Hey, Lee. Great to be with you. It uh, looks like it's a bit warmer over there. It's getting cold here at the moment. Oh my God. I, it's centigrade. I, I think it's about 35, 101, 102 really? Fahrenheit. Yeah. It's fairly warm. Un, unusually warm over here. Whereabouts are you? Uh, outside of Austin, Texas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a um, bit warmer there than here at the moment. But, um, <laughs> mate, congratulations. You've written another book. This is your fourth uh, book, and it's titled Being Essential, Seven Questions for Living and Leading with Radical Self-Awareness. Um, yeah, certainly radical self-awareness is, is what we speak a lot about on the show, so it would be interesting to delve into that book. And you've got a few other books there as well, so we'll stick the links in the show notes so people can check them out. Um, All right. Give us a little bit of a background, Dane, into your your history and what you do. Oh, sure. Um, I'm a writer and, a, and also work as a uh, leadership coach, have been coaching people for for a number of years. Um, I, uh, I grew up the son of uh, uh, a man who was on the fast track to becoming a CEO by the time he was 45. Uh, in fact, that's how I ended up living in Australia for a while. When I was 12 years old, he got transferred to Melbourne and uh, lived there for a while and then to Sydney, lived there for a while and then back to the States. And he was really high up in the aluminum company that he worked for. And I remember uh, walking through uh, Sydney, uh, getting on a ferry and uh, early in the morning, everybody's running, sprinting across the street to their offices. And I just stopped and said, I never want to do this. Mm. I don't want to be those people. I don't want to do what my dad does. And so the irony is by the time I was 35, I was in the C-suite coaching people like my father on how to have a more authentic life, how to have a more authentic way of presence uh, at the work and in what they were doing. Yeah. And so that's really what I've been doing since then. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So you grew up watching your dad and all these other people like rats yeah. in, in, in the machine, I guess, in the wheel of life, and uh, now you help those people. Yep. And I remember, I just remember the tension that he was always under. I have a memory from just before we moved to Australia of hearing his drive his car into the garage, uh, sitting in the kitchen with my sister eating dinner, hearing him get out of the car, hearing something fall over, hearing swearing and cursing, and then suddenly seeing his foot come through the door as he kicked it <laughs> and i i don't even remember being scared because he usually wasn't violent it was just like well this is unusual dad wonder how you're doing happened all the time but huh yeah so what is it about um people and, and human nature that that's what we sort of drive to do even though we may not be entirely happy with it you know i look at it often and i i kind of think that's partly why this show exists is because I sort of had a moment in my life where I just woke up and said, what is this all about? You know, and I didn't know yeah. what, what it was about basically. Um, and I still ask that question, what's it about? And I still I find myself know. with this drive yeah. to, and I, I have a passion for my work, um, which is great. I love it, but um, I feel bad sometimes when I'm not working, you know? Yeah, um, no, I, I understand. You know, I think uh, unawareness of our awareness is a, is a primary human factor. 
we have these in incredible skills of awareness, tremendous ability to have real awareness of ourselves and who we are and of the people around us. And most of our lives, we don't even know we have that. Hmm. Or we think we have it, but we're completely wrong because we have all these biases that, that don't work for us. So yeah. how, do you, how do you find a way to be really aware? How do you find a way to catch yourself in the moment of being about to do something, you know, yell at your dog or something and catch yourself and say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not what I want to do. Um, Viktor Frankl uh, had a quote that I'm going to paraphrase. He says, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. Mm. In that space, there is a choice. And in that choice is our freedom and enlightenment. Mm. But most of the time, we don't even know we have that choice. Nobody we don't ever even told know us. we have that space, you know? We, exactly. Exactly. So finding that space, really, that's what the Being Essential book was all about. It was how, how, do you, how do you even know that that exists? And then knowing that exists, how do you find your way back to it? Um, and what I talk about in there is, is that essentially we have two selves. Yes. We have the self that's been constructed for us by our parents and our society we, uh, that we constructed ourselves by all the things we came to believe about the world and about ourselves. Um, and uh, I call that the synthetic self because it's really all just a construction. It's something that we've made up and built around us to sort of protect our ego. Yep. At the same time, we have another self. It's almost like having two different operating systems. We can operate in the synthetic self, and most of us do. That's what life is. We, we're in that synthetic self. This essential self is another operating system that really comes from the deepest place inside of ourselves. It watches everything that this crazy synthetic self is doing, even laughs at it, and, but then we ignore it. The synthetic self doesn't really know that other self exists. The essential self is just sort of laughing because it knows, hey, we're all going to die anyway. Why, why get worried about all of this? Look, mm. you know, you just threw a plate across the room and you're going for your gun. This is going to be when you get yourself shot. This is nuts. But it's sort of saying that with amused curiosity. Look what you're doing. Why are you doing this? So what if, what if you could live more of our, of our lives in that essential self? When you so talk about you um, the title of being essential... Yeah. This is what you mean is, is being that essential self. Yes. So we so have to tap into this, this self-awareness to tap into this essential part of us. Yeah. Um, you know, when I f first really started coaching, I had been hired to write speeches um, and was pretty good at that. So I sort of made a big jump into the C-suite and was suddenly working with a lot of uh, top executives of huge companies. Yep. And what I discovered was that these men and women would get on stage to deliver their speech and just have no idea who they were being up on that stage. They were, most of them were being nervous. Most of them, some of them were angry. Some of them were felt very uncomfortable. Some were having fun, but it was kind of like they were joking around because they didn't feel comfortable. 
and you know, one in 20 maybe, was really just up there, genuinely present, really had a sense of who he or she was being and giving it. Mm. Um, so that's, a, that's an amazing spot to get to. Yeah, and it is an amazing spot to get to. And what I discovered is for all the rest, giving them helpful hints about how to give a speech was kind of useless because until they could get to the point where they could be present enough to really know who they were being, then they couldn't use those helpful hints anyway. They didn't matter much. Hmm. You know? When they understood who they were being, could really feel who they were being, and could then really be present to the moment, then we could really coach them. So that was yeah. the work of getting them to that. And that's just gone. When they came off stage, they said, hey, will you, will you work with me you know, as an executive coach? And sure. So that's how, that's how I got into this interesting position that I had. Help, helping, um, helping leaders be more authentic, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I know exactly what you mean because I'm, I'm terrified of public speaking. I think most people are. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it when yeah. I do it. And when I do it, I'm pretty authentic, I think. You know, I sort of yeah. I find if I'm not, then it makes it really hard and you get nervous. Um, but when you're sort of being essential and being yourself up there, it yeah. just flows. And, and suddenly you don't really, you're not that you don't care, but you sort of don't. You're sort of you're so, not, you sort not of don't care. restricted yeah. by judgment or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a perfect way of describing it because you're present in the moment. You can feel yourself who you're being. You can feel the audience. And so think about that empathy. You're standing on a stage. You've got lights in your face. You can't even see the faces of the people, hmm. but you can feel them breathing. It's extraordinary how you can, how you can do that. Yeah. And so being able to share that is one of the greatest things. I love it when I get a chance to speak. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, nice. What, um, so where do we start with this, this radical self-awareness? How do we, I guess, when you're coaching a leader and, and they're saying, come on, you know, help me out. Um, well, yeah. What's the so, sort of first steps? I think the first step is, is really uh, what I call self-location. Hmm. And I start with the question of where are you? Yeah. Um, asking where you are is, is, is like navigation. You can't navigate until you know where you are. You can't, you can't get uh, to Sydney unless you know that you're in the Sunshine Coast. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to know that you're going to have to head south along the coast with with us trying to change who we're being. We have to know where we are at the, at the moment. And then the second question is, OK, if that's where I am, then why am I here? Yeah. And the why am I here? where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So so here's where I am. I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling frustrated and nervous and I just don't know where I am. So why am I here? Well, because I keep telling myself that I'm not good enough for this job. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be here. Okay, perfect. The other way that that question can go is, you know, I, where am I? I'm in a company that's really, really having some hard times and the culture here is terrible. I didn't know when I hired on here how bad it was. Why am I here? Maybe it can be the question is, what am I called to do? Now that I'm here, I'm part of this company. It's a mess. Why am I here? Let me see if I can fix things. Let me see if I can get just a few people to really be present and honest and say what they want and get what they want in this organization. I don't mean the money and I don't mean the prestige or the power. I mean, just literally the connection with each other. Mm. So those are the first two questions. When you get that, you sort of, okay, 
Okay, so, so I when you say where am I, you're looking at you know from a perspective of where am I as far as my my company is or my job is, or can you sort of ask that question? I guess in life, just where am I? Like, what am I doing? Well, you know what I find is where am I? Oh, uh, you know, I'm 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 in my office and I'm the vice president of sales. Yeah, yeah, but where are you? Well, I'm 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 in a period of a lot of stress. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So in that period of stress, where are you? Oh, I just, you know, I'm not good enough for this job. I, f- I can just feel that I'm going to fail. I should never have taken this. It's too much for me. Okay. That's where you are. Right. So it's, it's really being able to dig down to really, dig. It's, what's, what's your mindset? What is your mind telling you? Where are you in your mind? Hmm. Where are you on your journey in your mind? Yeah. Then, then the question, why am I here, has some real resonance. Oh, well, I'm, I'm here because I've always told myself that I was no good. I've always told myself that things would not work out for me. I I've, didn't know it, but I was a real pessimist, right? And okay, great. Now we've got something to work with. Yeah. So the next two questions then are really sort of at the core of it, which is, is and they go together, who am I being? And what do I want? And the language is very specific. The who am I being is not who should I be? Who did I promise the nuns I would be when I was in boarding school? Who did I tell my wife I would be today when I got to work? No, no, no. It's just in this moment, who am I being? Maybe I'm really angry. Or maybe I'm feeling really hurt. Or mm. maybe maybe I'm feeling good. Fine. And then... Asking who you're being changes who you're being. Yeah. Literally, the observation changes the outcome. So asking who you're being changes who you're being. Changing who you're being changes what you want. So maybe I'm doing this exercise, and I think what I want is to go get somebody fired, right? Um, but now that I've really figured out who I'm being, which is I'm maybe I'm being angry and I'm being angry because I'm terrified and I'm feeling unsure about myself. So I want to get somebody fired. Oh, but now that I see who I'm being, I don't want to get them fired. What I want to do is figure out how to help them get really good at their job and how I yeah. can connect with them. Yeah. And so that, that's the core. Um, and then the following uh, two questions are really just, just reality checks. And the next one's a really interesting question. It's what wants to happen? So everything that could be happening around the world, coming down the pike towards me that I can't see, I have no idea, but what wants to happen? What doors seem to want to open? Um, I had uh, a few weeks ago uh, in our company reservoir, I was on a hike up in the mountains near Santa Fe uh, with a very old friend. And we we took a stop and she said, hey, Things I'm working on are kind of slowing down. If you guys ever have anything I could do, uh, let me know. I'd love to maybe do something with Reservoir. And I said, oh, that would be great. And here's a couple of things I was thinking about, and I know what you do. And I came back to our our chief operating officer and said, you know, our friend up in Santa Fe wants to do this. And she suddenly, suddenly within a week, it was like everything in our company was like, radioactive with possibilities and changes. And then other people were calling us and saying, 
hey, I've been meaning to call you. I'd like to get involved with what we were doing. All these things seemed to want to happen. And it was literally pulling the plug on this one part that this young woman wanted to join our team. And suddenly that sparked everything. It wasn't that she sparked it, but it was a, a series of things that all seemed to want to happen at once. So it, it's been a very interesting couple of weeks. So what wants to happen is being really intensely curious about what's coming towards you. And that's really synchronicity. That's really being able to see how your desires, interests, connections, and awareness are opening doors around you that you wouldn't have seen before. Mm. The, the sixth question then is a really good one is what don't I know? That's really to avoid the trap of thinking we know, yeah. right? Uh, so what wants to happen? Oh, we're going to be really great and we're going to have all this money come in. And what don't I know? I don't know anything that's happening or why I should be saying that I'm making that up. And I don't know that at all. So let me not judge that. Let me not just assume that that thing's going to happen. Let me be really what they call beginner's mind. You know? yeah. And then the, the final question is just finally checking in. And the question is, how does this feel? I've gone through this. Maybe I was working through a problem. Maybe when I started, I was, I was feeling sort of nervous. I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about cash flow and money and contracts that aren't going to be made. And oh, I'm worrying about everything. Yeah. Now I've gone through the process. How does this feel? It feels great. I feel wonderful. I, I worked it out. I realized all of that stuff was just nonsense. Or if it doesn't feel right, then where are you? And you just go back to do it again. And sometimes it takes me, if, if I'm having a period like that where I'm thinking, well, I, I just don't know what this is going to do. It takes me two or three times to go through the cycle. Mm. And then the other thing, what I want to say about it is, to be clear, this is not about, oh, hold on a second, Lee, while I work this out through my seven questions, right? Yeah. It's, it's really about being able to be aware. So I say, oh, Lee just asked me a question and I feel uncomfortable with that question. Who am I being? What do I want? Oh, I don't want to feel that way. Let me, let me switch over to openness and really enjoy being open with Lee. And so I will, I will be vulnerable and tell you, I just felt uncomfortable by a question you asked and here's why. Because I have I just realized I have a lot of fears about that. Hmm. So that can happen in an instant. And really the thing is to get to the point where that, what Viktor Frankl mentioned, that space yeah. is not only instant, but it's also infinite. Hmm. You have so much spaciousness in that, that even though it only takes a millisecond, it's like you just had the space to just say, hey, I, I know what I want. Yeah. How do you sense? get to that? How do you get to that? Yeah. It's um there's sort of questions that I could imagine sort of having in front of you or, or just reminding yourself of on a daily sort of situation until you become sort of familiar with asking those yeah. questions internally without without you know the um the script in front of you. Um yeah. certainly I think there'd be some benefits there. And I think, you know, just asking questions generally for your life is going to be healthy, you know. And those particular questions are good to help you with that direction, like you said. Um, because if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're gonna go and how yeah. to get there. Um, I was gonna ask you another question about uh oh, mindfulness, like finding that space. I mean, I certainly found that um through a mindfulness practice, I I sort of was able to tap into that space a little bit easier. 
I wouldn't yep. say I'm perfect at it, but certainly I do recognize that space a lot more now than I used to. You know, I used to react to everything, whereas now I sort of sit, digest, and, and just cruise on. Yeah. Um, stuff doesn't certainly bother me as much because of that that awareness, I suppose. Do yeah. you do you help your clients with mindfulness practices or meditation or anything like that? Absolutely. I was talking to someone this morning who uh, mentioned uh, trouble sleeping. It was sort of like everything's going good, good. You still have a little trouble sleeping, but we'll go back to that one. And uh, he talked about waking up at 3 a.m. and worrying about the things that he worries about and all this stuff. Um, and so we started talking and uh, he said, I know I don't have to worry. He says, I know I am completely capable of changing everything in my life on an instant to have the best outcomes possible. I said, whoa, whoa, stop. Let's write that down. Uh, and then I said, and so add this. Uh, and when I do that, magical things happen around me. And I really appreciate everything that's going on. Mm. And so the instruction for him was to, when he wakes up at three o'clock in the morning, fretting on all these things, first say, oh, I don't want to be in this position. I don't want to be having these thoughts because these thoughts are not real. They're just my mind playing games with me. And then take a big, deep breath, exhale out as long as you can, take another deep breath. And with the exhale, just repeat those words that we wrote down, that statement of how over, overly, wonderfully powerful you are and how grateful and appreciative you are of everything around you. And just do that until you fall asleep again. Mm. I do that. I do that every night. I call it meditation. And, and, and I just, uh, what you do is you just have that mantra. You do the breath. You, you wake up. Then you start to float in between sleep and wake, that little space. And as you do that, uh, just amazing things happen. But all of that tension floats away. You're, you're just purely in your best thoughts. Yeah, so really positive affirmations. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. What's that mantra again? Oh, I, I, it was something that he said. I just wrote it oh. down. But it was something he was saying about himself, about his positive thing. But, you know, any one of us can create a positive mantra. We just say here. So mine, mine is, I learned early in therapy as a young man that uh, all of my problems were from not being, feeling that I was appreciated or accepted. Right. So, so my therapist friend uh, told me that. So I thought, OK, so mine is um, I appreciate myself and accept myself. That I am worthy. I am loved. I'm worthy of love. I am loved. And it, sometimes I say it. I, I appreciate myself. I accept myself. I don't need you to appreciate me. I don't need her to accept me. No, no. I appreciate and accept mm. myself. So that's that's mine. You've got one that would be similar, and you just figure it out and make it up. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I think you. You know, I, I learned this years ago to write some sort of almost a mission statement, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it was in that book by um, Stephen Covey. Yeah. Um, habits seven of habits. highly seven habits of highly. Yeah, I think he talks about it a lot in that book. Uh, yeah. That's probably where I first came across it anyway, but I've developed it, you know, and I've just added to it and it's, it's in my head now. So usually yeah. when I go for a swim or jump in the cold bath, I'll, I'll sit there and, and just go through that affirmation, um, yeah. which, you know, and it sort of transforms as, as you progress, you know. It does. And listen, all this stuff is a practice. So the first time you try this, 
uh, you're not going to shut the thoughts out. All the mm. negative thoughts or all the fearful thoughts or, or however we manifest that in their brains will keep coming at us. And then finally, we get a little, a little ground that we can clear, right? And then we can come back to that ground. And pretty soon it becomes a bigger space. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, that's, that's the space that Viktor Frankl was talking about. And we can create that space and live in it. And then that changes everything. I like that idea of that because it is just a moment, you know, sometimes. And I always think yeah. of the example because a lot of people can relate is when you, you're in the car and someone cuts in front of you and, and your reaction is to pull up your hand and yell and get angry for right. no benefit to anyone. Yeah. Um, and there's that space in between that, you know. And I, so I always relate to that space and how minute that space is. But like you said, when you find that space, it is infinite. Yeah. Like it's, we've got plenty of it. We just don't allow ourselves to have it. It, it is infinite. And, and you, the Japanese have a word called yutori, hmm. uh, which means spaciousness. And they actually, uh, it is a practice there of, of doing, changing your habits to create space around your life. Example would be getting to the airport two hours early so that you can relax, have a cup of tea, not have to worry about getting late, and just enjoy the atmosphere people watch in the airport. Now, most of us would think, oh, my God, I don't have time to get there two hours early. You know, I used to have a friend who prided herself on getting to the airport 30 seconds before they were closed or getting to the gate 30 seconds before they were closing the doors on the plane. She didn't want to waste a minute. But the stress of that, you know. <laughs> yeah, my wife, my wife, she hates flying. Not that she hates flying, but she just hates. She gets really nervy, you know, about going to, to the airport. And and yeah. usually it turns out terribly because I don't know we're so nervous about it, so we'll be late or something will go wrong. I'm just like no, just cruise yeah. along, like don't stress well, about it. So so it's interesting because think about this as as we change the way our mind operates, we mm. change what's happened. So as as you increase your awareness of who you are and become more aware of who you're being. Um, other people around you start to pick that up and they can feel that you're really an essential being and you're acting from your essential self. That changes them. It starts to change how they act. That attracts other people to them, attracts other people to you who are now ready to meet somebody with your level of openness. Mm. And that opens new doors. And somebody asked me if, if what I was writing about was karma, and I thought, well, I never thought about that. But as I thought about this point, yeah, karma is not just right actions, which is how it's always described. It really comes from right thought. If we're having the right thoughts and the right mindset and creating those relationships because people feel how essential we are, suddenly all these other doors start opening up for us. Mm. And that's the quote unquote good karma. Yeah. Right? When we're not doing that, those doors start closing, and that's the quote unquote bad karma. Yeah. It's just we create the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the actions come from your thoughts, don't they, really? So yeah. if, you've got, if you've got um, unessential thoughts, then you're going to have unessential actions, which will be transpired yeah. in the environment and the reality you live. And yeah, vice well versa, said. if you've got if you've got good karma or energy or essentialism, yeah. Yeah. then you're going to have that, that good behavior too. And it doesn't mean that you won't sometimes yell at your dog. No. You know? 
<laughs> we're only human. <laughs> no, but you're right. Like you, you know, we're going to we're going to make mistakes. But I think if you're essential, when you do make those mistakes, you're going to be aware of them. Whereas yeah. when you're not being essential, you'll make the mistakes and you won't take responsibility for it. Basically, you'll you'll put blame on outside things or just even bypass it altogether. Or or you'll you'll blame yourself so much that it becomes self destructive. You right. say, I see that's just the proof I needed that I'm no good. I'm not, I suck at this. I'm terrible at anything. I'm going to throw this book away because I could never do this. Hmm. I'm not good enough. Yeah. The power you know, of the mind, hey, it's, it's bloody amazing. Th- think about how we start out and how we could construct this self of ours. Hmm. We, we're lying in the, in the crib. We're looking at all these giant people who come around and come and go and bring us food and, and they can do all these things and they seem to be talking and I can't talk. I can't make food happen. I can't do anything. I can't do anything these people can do. And, oh no, I just pooped my pants again. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we start from. And then think about how much of who you are and who I am was constructed by other four and five-year-olds when we started school. And what they told us about ourselves or what we thought they were saying about us or what we thought, you know, was going on. And we keep doing that through life. Mm. Uh, if you're born a, a, a Hindu girl in a poor village in India, you will have an entire construction of what being a good girl is created for you. And you will try to live into that understanding of what that is without any ability to have an authentic thing until unless you're very very lucky and get into the right training and get it which is an available which is available in that society yeah. but in every society look at the look at the kids going to high school near where you live you know there there's a construction of who they're trying to be that they've learned from social media from other friends from what their parents have told us. all these constructions mm. and uh, no wonder we have trouble being authentic human beings. Yeah, and I think I think it's it's um harder to reverse those ingrained biases when you when you get older, but not impossible, yeah. Like you must work with some some elderly sort of um executives or leaders, um, maybe yeah. in their forties or fifties even, that you're helping um change that mindset. And you've probably seen some powerful changes, I imagine, right? Powerful changes. And I, you know, I get a lot of people who say that that just changed my life. You, we can change that at any age. Yeah. I had uh, an elderly relative die uh, a few years ago yeah. and I talked with the hospice people. Um, hospice is an organization we have. I'm sure you have it in Australia, yeah. but it, it cares for people and they're dying. And what he explained to me is the way they see it is, People will go into an end-of-life coma, and what they believe they're doing in that coma is deconstructing everything that's been built. So think about that. That really struck me when he said that. Mm. And I thought about her. Um, she had, had grown up the second of 17 children in a poor family in Central Texas in the 1920s, yeah. right? And uh, think about that. Growing up, she's told, you're a girl, you're not very pretty, you're uh, not very smart, uh, you're very poor, um, you're going to do this, you're going to be that, 
and all of these structures built by other people and by society around her. Now she's able to be in this coma and she deconstructs all of that. Hmm. And uh, I went to see her interesting. About, about two days before she died. I didn't know. I was about to go out of town. I took my dog, Toby, yep. and she was sitting in a wheelchair with her hand out. Toby started licking her hand. And after a while, I saw her finger start to move. L literally, the finger was like coming up. And then I saw her head come up and she looked at the poodle and she said, you're a good dog. And she's out of a coma. And I looked at her and I said, do you know that we love you? And she says, yes. And then she closed her eyes and went back. Might have been the last word she ever spoke. But just a dog licking her hand, so much was let go that she was able to come out of the coma just to experience that moment and then go back in and be at peace to die. Mm. Yeah, you wonder about the coma, eh? It's, it's interesting. I've yeah. never really thought about it that much. What must so go on I, there? As I, said, as I said the words just then, being at peace to die, the other words that came into my mind was, what if we could be at peace to live? Mm. What if everything we taught ourselves and were taught and practiced was to just have enough peace to live and to live a fully beautiful life that was joyful and present and, and grateful? What an awesome thing that would be. I think it's a goal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think as you age, you sort of get better at it. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, think you, I guess wisdom comes with age, um, typically, you know. But it doesn't mean you have to be old to be wise and, and happy and at peace. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean that if you're old, you're wise. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It's just, it's, it's just more accessible. It is yeah. more accessible. You know, when, when, I, when I was very young, I, I would have these flashes of it. I would have these moments of it. Um, mm. And then they would go away. We, we have an exercise in the book called the essential child exercise. And this is fun. Most of us have a moment or moments in our childhood where something occurs, some experience of being literally profoundly at one with the universe and perfect in ourselves. Um, and, and we experience that and then we sort of forget it. When we do this exercise, I can see people start to suddenly recall this experience. And I find about 20% of people can't do it, but people start to do it. And it's a profound sense of, of discovering yourself. Um, I, was, I was eight years old and I went out uh, into the backyard of where I lived outside of Los Angeles. We were just at the beginning of the foothills. So my backyard actually had a little bit of a view over some orchards and then out to the horizon. Yeah. The sun setting. I've climbed up on a swing set because I want to capture that sunset because earlier that day, some older woman had been in the house and she looked at me and said, um, Oh, your young eyes, you'll never see as well as you see right now. And I took that to be really bad news, you know, because if I was never going to see a sunset as beautiful as the one I was looking at right now, I wanted to bank that and hold it forever. And uh, and I absolutely remembered that moment. And I always wondered why I remember, and even the detail in which I remember that moment yeah. that you're 
But that's why it was that profound moment. I think as I sat there, I probably went into some kind of state of just enormous presence that I'd never experienced before. Yeah. My wife had a similar experience. Did you ever have an experience like that? Probably. Yeah. I'll have to think on it, but anything come up? Um, no, not at the moment. No. What was your wife's experience? Uh, she was a Navy brat, she traveled all over the world with her father, who was in the Navy. They were uh, in Massachusetts uh, on a naval base that was on a hill over the ocean. She woke up and could feel the warm sort of spring air outside. It was still mm. dark, so she got up before sunrise, walked down to the street to where it really fell away, and there was an apple tree that she sometimes climbed. And she climbed up and watched the dawn come up over the ocean. Uh, in this apple tree, and she said she had this profound sense of owning the the tree that she could could own any motion, she could do anything with it, she could move through it, she could dance in it, she could hold on to it. Um, and she went on to become a dancer choreographer and a writer and the whole thing. But that moment was when she had a sense of who she was. Mm. It's a profound thing to find. Yeah, at young age, huh? Yeah. I can't think of sort of a young age. I I sort of remember a couple of times in Japan where I had moments of, I guess, enlightenment, you could almost call it, you know, awakeness. Um, And there was one where I actually got lost the first trip and I got lost in the the streets of Japan, but I was so aware because I was lost. Um, And it was such a a beautiful experience for me, even though you would think it would be frightening for a lot of people being lost in, in a place where you couldn't talk the language. Yeah. Um, and there was another one where I remember walking down this this road, this narrow road. Most roads were narrow, and rice paddies all around me. Yeah, and um, and beautiful sunny sort of autumn day, I think it was. Um, yeah, great, just a great level of awareness and in the present moment. You know, um, you certainly can get those, but I found them later in life. You know, and I think I okay. found them after I started being a bit more self aware. I I had one one client who just couldn't think of one. He'd grown up in a pretty rough poor family and and i had the sense that i don't know if it was abusive but it was very unhappy childhood but he had mentioned how much he loved his harley davidson motorcycle so i said okay i want you to remember the first time you bought one Hmm. and he said yeah yeah and i said uh and you rode it home yeah uh he said and you you parked it in your garage he said yeah i said did you go out later and sit on it just in the garage and he says yeah i did I did. And I said, how did you feel? And he said, as he sat there, just holding the handlebars with his feet on either side, holding this, he felt this enormous sense of power and being in the right place in his life. And it wasn't about the motorcycle anymore. It was the sense of what it meant to be there in that space. Right. Yeah. So, that's, so we, can, we can always source that. But that's, that's our essential self experiencing that it's happening to it so being essential available on amazon it's available anywhere you buy books um anywhere i know you it's books? available in a couple of the bookstores in australia the bookstore chains have been distributed there uh and most most around the world yeah nice i'll stick the links in the show notes for everyone listening uh yeah. dane and and what what can people do to best find you dane uh danedunston.com yeah and reservoir dot llc uh that's yep. uh our coaching company um so yeah reach out we'd love to hear people's stories 
Perfect. I do have that here, so I'll um, stick those links in there. You haven't got the links there, so I'll put those in the show notes as well. Dane, thanks so much again for coming on and sharing today. Lee, really great to meet you and, and love your podcast. It's great stuff, man. Great conversation. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon